Awesome. If we haven't met yet, my name's Nick, and uh, let me fill you in a little bit. We've been doing a teaching series since we've been at summer camp, which was a few weeks back. Who was at summer camp? It was really great. Um, super, super rad. Really, really like um, just impactful time. I, I think that every person that went to camp could say I was deeply impacted. And so we started this teaching series called Take Camp Home. And it's all about um, just dissecting what makes camp so significant. And um, there, actually, it's not going to be Take Camp Home this week. There's one other slide here. We're going to call it Take Camp to School. And some of you are like, great, I wasn't at camp. I, I don't go to school. I'm homeschooled. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, we've been dis- dissecting what makes camp so significant. Go to that next slide, Jaden. It's this one. This is, this is what makes camp so significant. We don't have phones. There's no cell service. So not only are you not distracted, everybody around you isn't distracted either. Um, and the list goes on. We, we worship frequently together. Um, we have opportunities to give and receive prayer. There's time in scripture. We have conversations in community. We have a blast. We do all sorts of things together in community. We have meal, like three, who has three meals a day around a table with a group of people with no phones? No one ever does that, but we did that. Okay, some people are like, literally, my parents make me do that. Okay, well, um, we do that at camp. There's daily quiet times, like scheduled times where you can just go and meditate and be with the Lord, um, and regular spiritual conversations. And um, that is what makes camp significant. And what we've been talking about is um, we can't live at camp, but I would say that it is very, very possible that we could have daily encounters with the Lord, it is very possible that we can translate some of these into our daily lives. Because how ridiculous would it be if we waited for camp all year long so that we could enjoy this, and then we go, wah, wah. well, we're back to real life. We can't experience God in any powerful way. No, I have a bigger vision for this youth that we experience God on the daily basis. Um, so uh, we want to, we've been talking about implementing these practices. What are you going to take home from camp. So today, um, we're taking it one step further, taking camp to school. And like I said, I don't go to school. I didn't go to camp. That's okay, because the realities still apply. You didn't go to camp, but we want you to experience the presence of God every single day. You don't go to school, but you do interact with people um, in, in the general sense throughout your weeks. You interact and encounter different people. So anytime where you're interacting with people, anytime... Um, uh, you may not be around Christians. That that I think we're called into a certain posture. Does that make sense? So if if you didn't, okay. Um, the the key texts we're looking at today are words from Paul, um, the, and he's giving the church in Rome a word on why they should be people who share the gospel with other people who don't know the Lord. And this is what he says in Romans ten. It says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting a different text there, and he's stating, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who says, Jesus, I need you, I'm calling on your name, come into my life, that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
This is a really good text here. This section of scripture is so compelling because it leaves us with this question here. If I have been sent as a Christian into the secular world, have people heard about Jesus from me? When people encounter me, what is that experience like? Are they experiencing Jesus through me? Um, I want to build a case here today that you are sent ones. If you're taking notes, write that down. I am a sent one. I am sent into this world. I'm called to share the gospel in order that people may be saved now and forever. That is a huge title. Luke just read a verse earlier that says, you are qualified to share the gospel. You're like, oh, but I'm too young. I'm brand new in the faith. I don't really know much. No, you, you, you have Jesus' title on you because he saved you. You are a sent one into this world. So if you work backwards through this text, it's so, it's so crazy right here. If you work backwards, um, you have been sent. Why? Why have you been sent? So that people may hear. Just follow, follow backwards. You can see here, right? Just circle it in your mind's eye. And by hearing, people would believe in the gospel. And then by believing, they would call on the name of Jesus. And then by calling on the name of Jesus, it would result in people being saved. Do you see that? See that progression there? It truly is a beautiful thing when we take this mission seriously. Like how beautiful are the feet? How beautiful is the life of the person that says, I'm going to spend my life in, in order for other people to experience salvation? Do we do the saving? Absolutely not. But we can be the, the hope dealers. You know, we can be the ones going into people's lives, sharing this news. And that's what we're called to. What a, what a calling, what a task it is to deliver such life-saving news. When, when we say that we believe that the next generation of world changers are in our midst, this is why we believe that. Because when you truly believe that you're sent and you go out there, there's no telling what kind of damage you can do on people in a good way, damage you can do for the gospel, right? For the kingdom of God. When we have daily encounters with the Lord, when we wake up and we have daily encounters, the natural byproduct is that people will experience the Lord through us. That's why we want you to encounter God every single day. Because they're like, I don't know what, who's he, who he's been spending time with or she's been spending time with, but I want in on what they have. I want the joy they have. They walk lighter. They've got wisdom. What is it about them? It's Jesus. That's what it is. We want people to experience Jesus through us. So um, to be honest, though, this is going to get a little on the nose. A lot of us have been coming here for a long time. If you're new, we're grateful for you're here, but a lot of people have been coming here for a bit, and you've been attending youth group, or you've been attending Sundays, you've been a Christian for a while, and statistically, the majority of the people in this room have never talked to somebody about Jesus for the purpose of leading them to the abundant life. Isn't that pretty crazy? Statistically, only one out of 10 American Christians share the gospel regularly in their daily life. One out of 10. One out of 10. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of, of when I first shared the gospel. Um, I remember being a freshman in high school. I was a brand new Christian. And it wasn't until I was challenged to go and share the gospel that my faith like became real. Like I had skin in the game all of a sudden. And it, it was early, early in high school. Um, scripture reading wasn't really a priority. I had be, been saved, but it was kind of like fire insurance. It's like, I didn't know I was destined for hell. Now I know I'm saved from hell. So let's just ride it out. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't read the scripture much. Um, prayer was kind of a last resort. You know, you ever throw those Hail Mary 
prayers up where you're like, I got no other option. I guess I'll pray. You know, that's kind of how I viewed prayer. And, and I decided to go on this mission trip. And I remember being downtown San Francisco when my youth pastor pointed out this man on the corner and, and he, he encouraged me. He said, go up to that man and share about how Jesus changed your life and ask him about his story. And how would you feel about that, right? It's kind of nerve-wracking. You're like, I'm brand new at this. I, I mean, I know my story. Like, why should I know his story? I was kind of putting the pieces together. And it was almost like that was the day I realized my purpose was so much bigger than I had ever known. Like, I walked up to this man with absolute fear and trembling. I had no idea, like, what I was going to say or, or how I was going to say it. And, and I fumbled over my words, but eventually I shared with him how Jesus had saved my life. And I asked him, hey, do you know Jesus? Tell me about your faith background. And he didn't have much of a faith background. But at the end, I was like, dude, can I pray for you? Is there any way I can encourage you? And I got to do that. And I went on my way. And the reason I share that story isn't to be like, look at how great that was. And actually, in actuality, it was like a pretty terrible, like it wasn't spectacular, right? There was nothing spectacular about it, but I walked away from that like, I can share the gospel. (laughs) I can share my story. I actually have skin in the game. I, I, I want to give you, I say that to give you vision. You can do it. You can change the lives of people with the story that you share. So, so what, what if you were missing out on the adventure of the Christian life by not taking this part of your faith seriously? What if you've been coming here and it's like, honestly, church is kind of boring. What if it's because you've just been missing out on the adventure it is to say, there's no telling who I might come into contact with this, this week. There's no telling. I woke up. God might lead me to talk to somebody that leads to, to life for eternity for a single person. How crazy is that? What an adventure that is. Go to a coffee shop. I don't know if I'm going to strike up a conversation and somebody, somebody will ask about my story. There's no telling. Um, it, it, it wasn't until that moment that I was sharing with that guy that I realized something. If I'm going to start sharing the gospel, do you know what I'm going to have to know? The scriptures. I'm going to have to know the gospel. So then when I got home, I'm like, oh, shoot. Now I'm not just reading this because I just want to put it in my brain. Now I'm like, what if people have questions? Like, I need to know this. Like, I'm hungry for this. Oh, and then, and then as I'm reading this because I need to know it, I, I find it giving, like, my soul like just nourishment. And then I start thinking like, if I'm going to start sharing the gospel like this, I have to pray because I need the spirit's help. I need to go to him in prayer and say, Lord, help me have the words to say, give me the wisdom and the, and the cadence that I need to share the gospel. You know what I'm saying? So I, all of a sudden I start reading the gospel in a new way. I start praying in a new way. It wasn't until that moment that I really started exercising my faith. Are you guys tracking with me? Um, that moment in like that whole week in that mission trip, it gave me a vision for an entire life of having conversations that will last for eternity. Have I done it perfect? Do I still need to be challenged in that? 100%. But I want you to capture the adventurous life of living for more than just yourself. So much more than just yourself. When you say yes to Jesus, say yes, Jesus, when you call upon his name, it's only natural for you to want that life for everybody else. It's just natural. Like, can you believe that life and life abundant is on offer for all of humanity and the majority of the world does not know it? That's crazy. You have something that so many people are dying for, desperate for, searching for. When we experience the abundant life of Jesus, the only natural response is come along. I know what you've been looking for. Come and see. Come taste and see. Like, if you had news that could save somebody's life, why the heck wouldn't you share it? Well, you do. (laughs) 
You have news. Let's share that news. Um, I think one of the primary ways we grow in our desire and ability um, to, to want to share the gospel is when our compassion for the world grows. We need a compassionate hearts if we're actually going to share the gospel. You guys hear that? Everybody say compassion. Okay, the classic John 3.16 goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So pause right there. What moved God to give his son? Love. His love for humanity. He didn't just say he was so fed up with the world that he's like, okay, just have my... Dude, he looked down upon humanity and he loved them. Like if we are going to offer our lives as living sacrifices to the world, it starts with a heart for people. It starts with this compassion for people. But there is this problem um, when it comes to this. And what's the problem? People. They're the worst. Write that down. People are the worst. Uh, the, the problem is that... Um, there's issues when it comes to dealing with people. Many of you know the story of Jonah. Dave talked about this on Sunday briefly, where God tells him, hey, go preach to this really, really terrible group of people in Nineveh. And he says, absolutely not. I'm going to go as far away from there as possible because I want nothing to do with them. I hate them. And he ran away. And the dilemma was that he did not like those people. And he's like, if I share the gospel with them, they might actually be saved. I don't want them to be saved. They deserve to, to plummet into the depths of hell, so I'm going to go. So I wonder if we have the same struggle. I wonder if we have a compassion deficiency. That, that At least when I examine my own life, that is one of the reasons that holds me back from really sharing the gospel. So there's this moment in Jesus' ministry when he's going around and he's teaching people and he's healing people, and then he stops and he observes the crowd. He looks around and, and, and he's moved with compassion. Look at how this verse uh, explains it. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That is amazing. And then get this, when he saw the crowds... He looks out at the crowds. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. A more like specific translation there is that his heart broke for the people. Because when he looked out there, he saw people that were being harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Like on their own strength, in their own power, they were going to end in doom, right? Then he said to the disciples, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors, laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So imagine that scene. Jesus is looking out. He sees the people. He sees corruption. He sees annoyance, frustration, ridiculous things going on, hopelessness, a broken group of people just going about life, aimlessly living, might not even know that they're in this state with no real direction or meaning or purpose, and his heart breaks. I think there's something to take note there. He knows there is something better for them. You know, that's what Christians do. We, we get to look out at the crowds, and we get to go, I know there's something better for you. It's really hard to think, I know there's something better for you, and move when we don't really care about people, right? He knows they are helpless on their own. So, um, I had to examine myself this week thinking of this. Like lately, I've seen crowds of people all over the place, you, you, wherever you're, I mean, schools, um, sports, whatever it is, news. I try not to watch the news when I look out at the problems of our day, the problems of our city. To be honest, compassion is not my first response. 
Can you agree? Is that you too? Is compassion, like, it's not my first response. Are you with me? Like, it's honestly not my first response. It's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. But a, a more accurate description of, of my posture towards the masses these days is quite closer to, like, frustration or disgust. I'm like, really? Really? Is this really happening in the world right now? I'm quick to judge people and to throw my hands in the air and say, are you kidding me? Sin has taken our world this far? Last week it was this, and now it's this. Just when you thought times couldn't get any worse, this happens. That's kind of my posture, if I can be honest. And can you relate to that? When you walk into school, let's get a little bit more personal. What is your first response towards the people? If you're homeschooled, just don't even answer that. You're like, Mom. No. When you walk into your school... What is your first response toward the people? Are you quick to judge? Are you quick to, are you kidding? Look at, are you kidding me? What, seriously? What are you dealing? What are you doing? Like, are you quick to ignore? Like, nope, got to get to class and don't have time for you. Are quick, quick to avoid? Can I challenge us this evening to have a perspective shift? And, and can I challenge us to rethink this world through the lens of the gospel? What if, I think there's a slide that says this, but what if instead of seeing people as obstacles or annoying problems to solve, we actually started seeing people as opportunities for Jesus to work and move powerfully? Instead of walking into our schools like, oh, brother, it's like, wow, the harvest is plentiful. There's actually a lot of room for Jesus to do some amazing work in this place. What an opportunity. I get to be one of the workers and the harvest is like flourishing. (laughs) What a different way of viewing that, right? What if we started viewing our schools through the lens of compassion and offered our lives to be present in those places? Like, wow, I need to be in this space, not because I'm special, but because Jesus is special and he's put his stamp of approval on me. Like, what if we started praying that Jesus would give us compassion for our schools and give us a heart to reach them? Do you walk into your school thinking in those terms? Like, really think about that. Like, who, who can I reach? Who can I encourage? Who can, who can I, like, who can Jesus affect through me today? Like, I want to challenge you, before you walk into school, like, take, take this as, like, a, as a challenge from Jesus. This isn't from me. Do what Jesus did. When he looked at the crowds, before you walk into school, look at the crowd. Stop for a second. Look at the crowd. Hmm. What does Jesus think of these people? I'll tell you, he thinks so highly of them, he'd die for them. Before you walk into the cafeteria, stop and look at the crowd. Before, oh, there's my soccer team. Stop. Look at that smaller crowd. Before you go to your football team, baseball team, stop and look at the crowd. What does Jesus think of them? And may that develop within you this compassion for those people. And then be available. Jesus, who do you need me to affect? Who do you need me to interact with today? I think if we started slowing down and really considering the fact that we are constantly surrounded by people who don't know Jesus and have, and we also have the very news that could change it all, then we would step into those spaces more intentionally. We wouldn't go up just another practice. We go, Oh, another practice. Jesus, what do you want to do through me? Like we would see these environments in a completely new way. Like we would start viewing the world like Jesus viewed the world. Like that old song, uh, all the leaders in here might know, like, give me your eyes for just one second. Any any of the leaders know that song? Okay. It's like, give me your eyes for just one second, Lord. Give me like the compassion that you have for the people. So um, 
First point here, this is the first out of 20 points. Um, I'm just kidding. You are uniquely positioned to reach your peers. I want you to know that. You're uniquely positioned to reach your peers. You know what? These leaders in this room, they're here to reach you. They're here to support you. But you know how awkward it would be if we stepped on your school campus and tried to reach your peers at your school? We'd probably end up in like cuffs or something. They'd be like, what is this guy doing? Get off. Like you are in the schools and, and kids respond differently when you are the one sharing the gospel than when somebody who isn't a peer shares the gospel with them. Would, would you agree? Okay. Jesus set the example. This is crazy. Jesus set the example of reaching the world by recruiting teenagers. Luke reminded me of this this week. This is pretty, who, who was it that paid temple tax? It was Jesus and who else? Okay, Jesus and Peter, which meant all of the other disciples, other than Peter, were under how old? Under tw- they were under 20 years old. They were teenagers. All of the disciples, isn't that crazy? I never really put that together. But not only that, um, but since you are students, like you were created for this time to follow Jesus in your school, um, for, for a specific, like, you were born for this time. I don't know if you know this, but, but we, like I said, we can't just walk up to your school. You are in your school for a specific purpose, on your campus for a specific reason. Um, and I want you to dream for a moment. Um, uh, have you really considered who you're positioned around? Have you really considered that, or are you just kind of going with the flow? Are you kind of not necessarily avoiding people, but are you just, dude, I just got to get through this year? Um, are, are you trying to simply exist and survive, or are you trying to powerfully be used to share about who Jesus is in hopes that it leads to salvation? Like, don't let your influence go to waste. You have influence. I can't tell you that enough. You have influence. What if at the end of your years in school, whether that's middle school or high school, you can confidently say that you had conversations that will matter for eternity? Like, dude, how do you feel about high school? I actually, I think I had conversations that literally will matter for, for eternity. I had conversations that will matter for, for, from now and forever. What if you made it, like, it your life's goal? You're like, okay, dude, I, I'm here at youth group for like the first time. Well, I, I've got a life goal for you. And that is that your life's aim would make heaven crowded. Like, that's all I want to do. I just want to make heaven crowded. I just want to get to heaven and be like, yep. That conversation, I didn't save him, heck no, but that conversation was an eternity conversation. That conversation will matter forever. Like there are people in your school that have no idea what kind of life is waiting for them in Jesus. And you do. Like let's, let's dream, let's be creative of how we're gonna be these messengers of that news. The greatest thing that you could possibly pursue in this life, the greatest things aren't necessarily like recognition that will last a moment They're not accolades, right, that will last a moment. It's things that will last for eternity. Let's not get wrapped up in the temporary things when we have eternity on our hands. Charles Spurgeon, I've used this before, but it's so good. A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when forget-me-nots have withered. But this is the point right here. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Carve your name on hearts. In other words, accomplishments are great. Having a long resume of noteworthy achievements, maybe even on your tombstone, look at everything he did, she did, but friends, as followers of Jesus, none of those things matter as much as the people we impacted in this life. That's it. People are what matter the most. 
Like pursue accomplishments, of course. Do your best at sports, sure. But those are tools to share what really matters. Those are instruments to actually share what really matters. Every day when you wake up, open, like you go into your school campus, you aren't simply walking onto your school campus. You are stepping foot on your mission field. Like you, you don't just go to school. A lot of you are like, literally, I don't. I'm homeschooled. I'm, okay. Or you don't just play football. You don't just play baseball or run cross, cross country or golf or swim or do robotics or whatever it is. You do those things with a lens that understands that you will encounter people who need to know the love of Jesus and you are the messenger or the worker that's going to make that happen. That's the lens. Maybe you've heard this before. Here's, here's some questions. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Let me answer those. It is now, and the time, and it's, the time is now, and it's you. Like, you are the one that's being sent, and the time is now. Like, let's take action and stop convincing ourselves that somebody else will do it. I've used that excuse so many times. Somebody else will affect them. They'll, they'll probably learn about Jesus from somebody else, or, or, or we'll do it another time. Like, I'm just kind of easing my way into it, like, preach the gospel and use words when necessary, and then it's like four years later, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you're a Christian. You ever been that, like, oh, you're a Christian? That's kind of a slap to the face sometimes, because you're like, dang, sorry I never shared the gospel with you. <laughs> I, I wish you didn't find out that I was a Christian before I asked you if you knew the Lord. Um, but you are the workers, and the time to work is now. Um, uh, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. One thing that's so powerful about Unite next week, I really, really want you there, is the workers are few, but you really feel like the workers are few when you're in your school. Would you agree? You walk in, you're like, there are no Christians here, but when you go to Unite and you see that there are Christians and they are proclaiming the name of Jesus, you go, I think we could do some damage in our public schools, actually. I think that we could actually start this domino effect. In fact, you are in this room hearing about Jesus because 12 teenagers that Jesus uh, used reached the world back then. Like, their work is reverberating in the world to this day. Isn't that crazy? What if you did the same thing? What if you joined the same vision and started having conversations that will matter for eternity? So I love the mathematics of the kingdom of God. It's never addition. It's always multiplication. The mathematics of the kingdom of God. When someone shares, this is, I was thinking of this this week, when sh- someone shared the gospel with my dad, do you know what he did? It wasn't just like, oh, another one for the kingdom. He came home and he shared the gospel with me. He shared the gospel with my mom, with my sister, with my brother. We all went and we got baptized and we said, Jesus, we're going to pursue you. Um, You know what I'm saying? And then we went into our own spheres of influence and we shared the gospel in those spheres. And I just think back to the guy who told my dad about Jesus. And I wonder if he has any clue what sort of wave he's started. I'm thinking back at that guy He has no idea that I'm standing here talking about the gospel in front of students. But I'm like, I want to meet that guy and go, thank you so much. But but friends, that's that's the reverberating effect. That's the domino effect of the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate your ability to influence your peers. Dream about how contagious this can be. Like what if at the end of your, your high school career, literally every person in your school heard the gospel from someone, from a peer? I think it's possible. If we're going to take the task of sharing the gospel seriously, we need to count the cost. Let's be upfront. I'm going to be upfront for a second. And here's the question I want us to wrestle with. 
What are you willing to risk for the sake of your peers? What are you willing to risk? There is, there's a risk here. Like Luke read a story a few weeks ago about a paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. Like it was a super crowded room and these guys befriended this paralyzed dude and they're like, let's get him in front of Jesus because he's going to get healed. And Luke made this case that it would have been a really, really hard thing to be friends with this guy. It would have been a really demanding friendship, but they saw it worthy to commit to this guy as a friend. Like what, that was a length that they were willing to go to. Um, the disciples had to risk a lot to follow Jesus. When Jesus invited them to come follow him, he says, hey, come follow me. Do you know what they did? They literally, they were like in their parents' boat. And they were like, mom, dad, can I? And I think that they were, I think it kind of went like this. They were probably like, we really need you. Like, this is the family business. And it was like, not only am I not going to see you anymore, but you're not going to have my hand anymore. Hope the business goes well. See ya. Like they risked their family business and, and left the boat, right? Um, they, they risked a lot. They completely kissed their careers goodbye, their financial stability. I'm out of here. Paul risked a lot. Here, here, here's some things that Paul risked. He's kidnapped. This is him trying to share the gospel. He's kidnapped. He's beaten, right? He's threatened. He, he's arrested many times. He's accused. He's interrogated. He's ridiculed. He's ignored. He crashes a ship and uh, gets in a, in a ship crash, shipwreck. Okay. He gets bitten by a snake. It's pretty crazy. The gospel message is worth the risk. That's what I have to say. The gospel message is worth the risk. Um, but friends, we live in a country, we live in a time where the risk of following Jesus is actually pretty low. Like, to be honest, we aren't worried about these risks because we will likely be spared from things like this. I, I don't know if we bow out in the face of risk as much as we bow out in the face of inconvenience. You hear that? I don't know if it's like, man, the risk is too big. I think we kind of side on, ah, oh, it's kind of inconvenient, man. Like, I'd rather not. Like, yeah, I just want to guarantee you, yes, starting to share the gospel is going to be awkward. I say that firsthand. Like, there's moments where it's like, shared the gospel, it went really, really well. There's times where I'm like, that was the most awkward thing ever. I want to, like, hit my head on the wall when I leave this room, right? Yes, it will take time and intentionality from you. And it will take time from things that you would probably rather be doing. Yes, it will affect your reputation. People might even laugh at you and go, oh, you're one of those Jesus guys. Are you kidding me? Come on. Like, people may laugh at you or reject you. In light of what we may receive, I would say... We should risk it all. When we know what we're going to receive in Christ, risk it all. Like time, talents, treasures, anything to win people to Christ. Anything. I don't, I don't care how inconvenient or bothersome or how much it, it interrupts our plans. It is so much worth the risk. It might be a risk, but it's worth it. So what are you willing to risk for people to know Jesus? John fifteen twelve. I love the message translation of this. This is the very best way to love. Here it is. Put your life on the line for your friends. You ever had somebody put their life on the line for you? If you haven't, I bet it'd change you. If you have, you know for a fact it changes you. Like, you are my friends when you do the things I command you. Put your life on the line for your friends. Are you willing to put your life on the line? Are you willing to go to great lengths and take great risks for the sake of people coming to know Jesus? Um, I'm really, really grateful that people took risks that led me to the Lord. And I want to be somebody that takes great risks as well. Um, I want to conclude with this concept that I think is really important. Um, John Tyson recently stated this in terms of the gospel. He says this, 
The clock determines the play. He's talking in terms of um, sports, but he uses this to, to illustrate the gospel. In most sports events, when the clock is running down, the, the intensity of the game ramps up, right? That's why we love buzzer beaters. That's why it's like, oh my goodness, they only have like 30 seconds. Oh. You know what I'm saying? The, the clock determines the play. You push through in those last seconds. You do everything you can in those last seconds because it could mean everything. You work with all your might. And the reality is in this life, we don't have that much time. We convince ourselves that we do. In light of eternity, the moments here on earth are like a blink. Like, I want our youth group to be people who go about life with a sense of urgency. Urgency. Like, not frantic, doomsday people that freak everybody out. It's like, oh my gosh, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, turn or burn, turn right now. Or you're, you know what I'm saying? Not that. But I think we are called to have a sense of urgency that makes the best use of our influence with the short amount of time that we have. Colossians 4 explains this better than anything. Listen to this scripture. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too. I love Paul talking here, that that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And get this, that is why I'm here in chains. I'm in prison right now, so just just pray for me, but I also want to share Jesus. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he starts encouraging the people. He says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So the text asks us two personal questions to take an inventory of, and here they are. What are my opportunities with the people in my life? What opportunities do I have? Who's in and around my life? Who are Who is my sphere of influence? And the second one is this, how do I make the most of these opportunities? How do I leverage these moments in a way that bears fruit? A lot of Christians today are not living wisely um, among people who don't know Jesus. They're actually ridiculing and slandering people for not knowing Jesus. Um, but one, one way to make darn sure um, that they n- don't know Jesus, um, one, one way to make darn sure that people don't know Jesus is, is by wearing Jesus' label and then making him look bad by the way that we treat people. That's what Paul's getting at here. Be strategic, be gracious. Read the room. <laughs> be thoughtful towards people who don't know Jesus. Um, because, because this is true. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. You may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. What, what is their experience going to be like? Um, let's be people who take advantage of this short time and, and share the gospel this week. Let me, let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this group of students. I know that... Um, we're all on a different, different journey. We're all in different places of this journey, but we know that you're encouraging us to step deeper into what you have for us. So I just pray for creative thoughts. I pray for motivated spirits to step into everything that you have for us. So we make ourselves available to you. We just say, amen.